Made Visible helps people with invisible illnesses feel seen and heard. It provides a platform for people who seem fine but aren't to share their experiences. It also helps to create a new awareness of how we can be sensitive and supportive to those with invisible illnesses. Please note this podcast is intended to provide information and education and is not intended to provide you with a diagnosis or treatment advice. You should consult with a licensed or registered healthcare professional about your individual condition and circumstance. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Made Visible. I'm your host, Harper Spiro, and I'm so glad you tuned in. Today is a really special episode as I'm interviewing my two best friends, Melissa Aves and Danielle Scarmolino. We met on the first day of freshman year at Northeastern University in Boston and have been best friends ever since. When this episode airs, the three of us will be in Portugal celebrating our 20th friend anniversary. Welcome, Dee and Mel. Hi. Hey, Shma. <laughs> There's going to be a lot of nicknames in here. Warning to the listeners. So let's start off. Mel, who are you? Where are you from? And what do you do? All right. I'm Melissa, or affectionately known as Mel, or Cookie, or Princess. And I live in New York City on the Upper West Side. And... I chased around my almost two-year-old, and I am a nursery school teacher at Midtown East. D. Hi, everybody. My name is Danielle, also known as D. D. Money for Life. D. Money. Yo. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I am from New York. I grew up in Westchester in a little town called Peekskill. Went to college with these two lovely ladies. I currently live in California. I work at a nonprofit based in New York City who supports New York City Public Schools. I love it. So we're going to dig right in and we're going to take it back 11 years. When I first found out that I needed to have surgery and was going down to the NIH and learning about all this new stuff in my life and in my health that you had never known anything about. What do you remember about that time and when I informed you that I had an invisible illness that I hadn't told you about for all those years. Do you have any memory of that time? Well, I remember when you went to the NIH and they found the mass in your lung. That's sort of like the start of when we knew you were sick. And I think we didn't really know what to do with the information because we had known you for nine years already. And like, there were little things that we knew, you know, you would get colds that were worse than normal and like, you know, things in that respect. I mean, we lived in close quarters with you. So we knew there were always lots of vitamins and we knew there were always like those sorts of things, but you never wanted to talk about it. And we didn't know there was something to talk about really. So, so when you came back and said, I'm going to have this like potentially life-threatening surgery, or at least I was just taken aback with, whoa, what do we do? Where did this even come from? Because it wasn't even sort of part of our friendship at that point. We just didn't know that was a part of you. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think you are someone from the day I met you that has always just brought with you this kind of magnificence, like this presence. You're always so energetic and like so kind of all-encompassing. I never, 
ever in our entire friendship like saw you as someone who was sick. You were always just so bubbly and energetic and like just brought the fun. And you like you still do to this day. I feel like it didn't hit me at all. Even right before the surgery, I just assumed, oh, this is something that you have to do and you're going to do it and you're going to be totally fine. And then I think, yeah, seeing you in the hospital, I think was like the first signs of like fragility was a little bit of a wake up call for me. It's interesting. I remember Mel coming when I was first trying to walk right after, I don't know, a few days after surgery. And I remember Mel being there and just feeling so defeated. Like, how is this my life? And how is my best friend sitting here, like watching this happen? What do you remember about that, Mel? I didn't know what to expect, I guess, when I came in to see you. Because at this point in time, we've had a lot of friends who've had a lot of different surgeries and a lot of things. So it feels different to go back and think about 11 years ago when you were the first friend that kind of went through something like this. I remember you trying to get up and like having to turn away from you because I was like, what? This isn't the person I've known for all this time. So I remember just like trying to hold my breath and saying to myself, like what Dee said, like, this is a thing that you're going to get through and like, we're going to be done with it. Not knowing that this was like an ongoing thing quite yet. This was really the first that we knew. So I remember leaving the hospital and sitting outside and like needing a minute. It was weird. It was just so strange to see you that way. And, but I did run to your apartment after that and like set up like this ridiculous welcome home situation. I think I was with Gotti. I think we did that together. And we like made a sign and we brought like, it was the only thing I could think to do for you was create like something that was awesome when you got home and then you didn't come home for like 10 or 12 or even, I don't even know how many days it was until you came to the apartment. I was like, oh my God, the flowers are dying. <laughs> like everything's going to be everywhere. But like, as a, as your friend, I'm like, what do I do in this situation? I have to do, I, I feel like I had to like run to do something for you. And that was the best I could think of. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I didn't know that this would be an ongoing thing either. And that's what's so complicated about this is it wasn't like, oh, I just went in and had this surgery and recovery took a little while. It was, oh my God, this is going to change your life. And there's going to be a lot of challenges along the way, which I don't know if anyone knew that medically either. So it was a huge adjustment for all of us of just going, wow, this is a whole new phase in my life, in our lives. As Danielle said, I was this person. And then here's this whole other burden to take on. So I'm curious to hear, that's 11 years ago. What's it like to be on the receiving end when I update you about something related to my health? Because you've heard a lot of stuff over the last 11 years. There are parts of your health that you are forthcoming and talking about. And there are other parts where you're like, I want, I want you to know these things, but I don't want to talk about it. So there's like this like balance and sort of, I don't want to say we tiptoe because it's not so much tiptoeing. It's, it's trying to navigate how much you need from us versus how much you just need us to be on the other end of the phone. What do you think, Dee? Is that accurate? Yeah, I think, I mean, my first reaction to that question is that I feel really, I just feel so much for you, Harp. Like the amount of stuff that you have to deal with that, you know, I, I've, had my fair share of like, you know, health issues, especially in like the last few years. 
but the amount of stuff that you have to deal with and how like frequently and like how daily, how much daily, like it impacts your day-to-day life. It's, it just feels so unfair. I just feel really angry that you have to go through it, you know, and feeling all of the the feelings of like really wanting to be there for you. But that means like what Mel was saying, where sometimes that means just listening. Sometimes that means being like your cheerleader. Sometimes that means not saying anything and just being there. Sometimes that means sending you a box of, you know, Rayo's pasta sauce. It's figuring out kind of what you need and, you know, trying to be as supportive as it can be. But mostly I'm just pissed off. Yeah. I was going to say, sometimes it means calling D to figure out how to proceed. D and I, sometimes we have kind of our, our back channel occasionally to say, okay, what does she need right now in the moment when we're not sure what you need? Because like you're tricky as you're a complex emotional person and some Sometimes you present very strong and sometimes you present beaten down and sometimes you are in the middle. And Dee and I, I think, are a team in figuring out what you need. And we've gotten better at it over time, I think. But I use her and she uses me as support for you, which is very helpful, I think. And when one of us isn't there, the other one is. And I think that's helpful for you also. We're a tripod, the three of us. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because if you didn't have each other, sure, you have your partners, you have other friends, but we are really a tripod and to be able to lean on each other. And I can say that about other situations with both of you in coming to Mel to tackle things with D and vice versa. But it's helpful to know that I know that I am not easy with this stuff because sometimes I'm like, here's everything you need to know. But most of the time, I need a listener. I need someone to just be there and to listen and not problem solve because I typically like to do that on my own, even though I know it doesn't benefit me all the time. But it's my natural tendency. I wonder how you determine all these years in together and individually when to react a certain way. Because if I'm not saying to you, I just want to tell you this story, don't respond, or I don't want feedback, or I don't want advice, that's one thing. I'm telling you what I need. But when I don't, how do you make that decision? It's so special what we have. I mean, we have the benefit of, a, of 20 years of knowing one another. So, you know, that's that's a superpower, I think. You know, when you meet friends in college, it's a journey to learn how to, like, become emotionally vulnerable with them. I think that happened pretty quickly with us. I typically just let you lead and then try to parse kind of what I think is the best response. And most of the time, it's just listening. I mean, you're an incredible self-advocate for yourself and you're really smart. Nine times out of 10, you know what you need to do next. It's not like figuring out what to do next. It's more just like processing the motions of it all. And I hope, I just try to be a good listener on the other end of the phone. It's also really hard that we live apart now because I think it used to be a lot easier when we could just like go lay on each other's couch and like be there physically now that we are apart, it it requires a little bit more like intentionality. Yeah, the, the part that we're all like in different corners of the world is has been a challenge. I think for all of us in a number of ways, but but when you get certain types of news or whatever it may be, 
it, it's definitely harder to not be able to just come over. I used to be really uncomfortable with the silence on the phone. I think sometimes you just need us to sit in it with you, breathe, and like you just know that we're there. And I think that is something we've learned over time. And that was pretty much the same when we were together. Like it was to sit on the couch. It wasn't to speak so much. It was like, it was literally just to sit there. It could have just been music. It could have been a terrible movie. And like, it was just to like be over there and like hang out with you. Now I used to like, feel like I needed to encourage you, you know, especially on the phone, like Harp, we'll figure it out. We'll do this. That ship sailed a long time ago, knowing that we're not going to have the answers on the phone at that moment. And there are so many complexities to what you're dealing with just to say, okay, I hear you. How do you feel? Really shitty. Or I'm okay about this or whatever it is. Okay. Is there a step that's next? If not, okay. Like there's, it's a lot of just, I hear everything and whatever you need to say to me and get off your chest, we are safe for you to do that for. So I think we've, we've learned it's, it is a journey because we did not always get it right at first. There were times where you had told me on the phone, like, I just need to go. Like I was too encouraging or I was not encouraging enough. Or I said something that, you know, made a good situation worse or a bad situation, you know, like it's, we're not perfect. And that's friendship. That's relationships. That's love. So we sort it out when we can, we do our best. I agree. You guys do an amazing job. And I think, as I said before, I'm not easy in a lot of those situations because I am not always so blunt in saying this is exactly what I need or how I need you to support me. I try to get better over time, but I do think that you guys learn from those behaviors. And I'm very selective of who I tell what and when, less to you guys, but to other friends because of how people react. And I think because we are 20 years in, you know me well enough to know how to figure it out and how to problem solve if there's problem solving needed. But I think you bring up a really good point, D, of living in different places, how this has all shifted in such a major way. Our communication is mainly through texting and it's through, you know, weekly scheduled calls and, you know, sporadic other ones, but ultimately the times of us sitting on the couch or going out to dinner or going and meeting at a bar are behind us, but hopefully ahead of us in other ways. And, and it's a huge shift. So I wonder how you would say our friendship has changed since the last 11 years. Obviously, lots of things have changed in our lives. But how would you say, if at all, our friendship changed related to my health? I don't really think it's changed that much, honestly. <laughs> I would agree. I, I I don't think our friendship has changed. That I mean, I think it's grown deeper in some ways. We're really kind of connected to each other's lives on like a deeper level. I think, Harp, you've changed in ways that are incredibly empowering. Like your focus on your health and what, and like your focus on living the best life that you can live and like making decisions that set you up for that in like really intentional ways, you really are taking care of yourself. And that I think has had positive, you know, impact on me. I'm better for that (laughs) because 
I see like a really good model of someone who takes really good care of themselves and really prioritizes themselves and their needs. Well, she's also freaking nag if you don't do the things that are yeah. <laughs> better for you. And she'll remind you to do something 48 times. And if you don't do it, she's like so annoyed that we haven't done it yet. And yes, it is certainly positive, but equally as annoying, but you know, positive. <laughs> I knew I knew something like that would come in there. So that actually is like exactly the question that I was leaning towards, which is, has my health or the way in which I manage my health impacted the way you manage your own health? I think it's really empowering. Like I said, the, the way that you prioritize your health and your needs. And as someone who is in the process of unpacking my own baggage, <laughs> I think that is a journey. You know, it, it doesn't come naturally to a lot of people to, you know, say I am important and I need to do this thing for myself and to be intentional and make those decisions for themselves. And so I think that that's really awesome. And I've definitely like benefited from like having you around Sometimes, like Mel said, you can get a, go a little overboard and start cracking the whip. And that doesn't always have the intended outcome that you're seeking. <laughs> Sometimes that can backfire. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that's a lesson for me to remember to practice what I preach, because I don't like being given medical advice. Mm hmm. But because of all that I've been through, there are certain things that I feel that I'm knowledgeable about and want to share. And I've talked about this on the show before because I think it's such an important thing to address that I have work to do for sure on this. But I, I don't want to say I'm the expert. I'm the expert in my body. I'm very clear on that. But there are things that have worked for me that I want so badly to share with people, but I'm attached to the outcome as opposed to here's some information, here's some knowledge, do what you wish with this. But I care as a problem solver and as your best friends for there to be a good outcome too. You are certainly a wealth of knowledge when it comes to self-care and health care as in acupuncture and all these, all these other kind of holistic ways to deal with things versus medical ways to deal with things. And you never preach like, you know, what the answer is. Like, that's kind of one of the great things about you is like, people have tried this or I've tried this and it's always coming from a place of concern. And it's always coming from a place of wanting to make us better and to feel better. But you're a pusher. You're such a pusher sometimes, man. <laughs> you know, and sometimes we're like, okay, harp. And like, sometimes, you know, by the third or fourth time, you're like, you're not going to do it. I'm going to just stop it. And we're like, cool. That'd be great. But always from a good place. And it's always about making us better. So it's never unwanted. It's just, you know, leave us alone. Leave me alone sometimes. I'll, I'll get there when I get there. You know, I, I'm a procrastinator. I, you know, I don't like to spend money on certain things. And you're always there to tell me it's okay to do it for myself. It's okay if I'm going to feel better. And that sometimes is what I need. And sometimes I pretend not to hear you, but that's friendship. <laughs> so. 
So yeah, I think Harp, you, you're like the master problem solver of problem solvers. Like you hear a problem and you're just like, well, have you tried this? And have you tried this? And have you tried this? And have you tried this? That's your default, you know, like that's like your, the first place that you go. And, you know, just like we were talking about before, like sometimes, you know, that's not what the person needs to hear. And my, my default is to kind of like maybe be too passive, like just like be kind of in the background listening. And like, sometimes you need me to be more available, present, like give offering, talking, offering stuff. And like relationships are all just like learning how to balance your defaults with other people's defaults. So to go back to the concept of being a support system for me, what do you do if you don't know what to do aside from call each other? I mean, sometimes we ask you, how can we be helpful? What would be supportive right now? Maybe we should do that more when we don't know. Cause you know, I think you're not afraid to tell us when we haven't done something that you wanted yes. us to do. <laughs> so that's, a, that's a good thing. You can be very direct I mean, it's, 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 I think ultimately it's a good thing for all of us. Instead of maybe waiting for that, like just asking up front would be like a better, better way. I think she's also gotten better at just doing that up front anyway. Yeah. 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 Over the course, you know, of the last 10 or so years, I think you've gotten, I mean, we've said a lot, you advocate for yourself, but like with us, you'll just say, I'm just going to talk. And then I don't want to talk about it. And it's, you know, that's very clear. And we're very respectful of that. And you've gotten so much better at that. I'm with D. Like sometimes if you don't know what to do, it might just be easier to say, what do you need from us? Like, what, what can I do for you in this moment? And if it's nothing, then it's nothing. And, and that's it. Because a lot of the times it's just nothing. It's actually not nothing. Nothing it's is not listening. nothing. Yes. I know. Yeah. You're yeah. It's listening. It's listening. And that is a huge, huge skill. Yeah. And I think it's such a reminder of the value of listening. I went to a workshop over the weekend. I haven't told you guys about this, but I went to a workshop over the weekend where we were, we were given five questions in five minutes and we were partnered up with someone. And the person that was speaking spoke for each minute for each question. And the other person just had to listen and not react and not make facial expressions and not put their hand out and not engage in any way aside from active listening. And it was five of the most powerful minutes of my life with a stranger in a workshop where we were both hysterically crying because we just were giving each other the attention that we needed and being completely present with one another. And I could have gone deep into questioning more things about what did she say and blah, blah, blah. All that mattered was that I was there to be there with her and vice versa. So I think it's a huge lesson to listeners, to you, of being a active listener is such a powerful tool. And most of the time, that is all I need because to your point, D, I know I'm a good advocate for myself and I often don't need other people's guidance in making decisions about my health. I just need the moral support, which you guys provide so well. I want to do this workshop. Sounds awesome. <laughs> we got to get, we got to get her to do it virtually then. So I thought about this yesterday and wondered what it was like for you 
to be my friend during the height of COVID because it was such a time where it was a reminder that I was so high risk and I was in a different category than most people. What do you recall of that and sort of realizing how serious it was for me? COVID sucked. I'm just remembering like the first time I got the okay to walk with you or sit on the driveway, I think was the first time. And I don't even remember how long in that was. And maybe by the end of the summer of 2020, where like, I think it was still warm. I think it was earlier than the summer. Yeah. Oh, I think you might be right, actually. Because Luca was born and Luca came over. So you're right. So it was a few months in, but knowing that you had left the city, you were out at at the house and we were all in a bubble, but you were in like a double bubble. You were in like extra isolation. I think I was grateful that your parents were part of that bubble. So you weren't by yourself that, so that was ticked off right away where like, you weren't going to stay in your apartment by yourself. Like you made the decision to be out with your parents and like that made everything feel better. But knowing like we weren't gonna be able to get to you for a long time was really challenging. Of course we know it's gonna be worse for you. We always also think like, we don't really know how it is for you. I think the acknowledgement of saying like, we know, but like, we're not gonna feel what you feel about this. So like whatever your feelings are around this, we just have to be respectful about it. And like when people give you shit, for not going outside or not wearing your mask during this or not. We're like, you do what makes you feel good. If you don't want to touch the boxes that come in from Amazon, don't freaking touch them. Do only the things that are going to make you feel like you are safe and you are going to continue to be safe when this is like a super intense, unknowable time. But I do remember coming and finally getting to sit on the driveway. I don't even know how many feet apart we were like, at least 30, I would say we were maybe 20, at least 20 feet. I don't know if it was 30. It was probably about, it was probably about 20. Otherwise we would be screaming to each other. And then the next time I came, we walked on opposite sides of the street. And we did that, I think all summer then we were just on opposite sides of the street, but like D had a baby in the middle of that, that like Harp and I were, we were like in a triangle where, you know, I was 20 feet from Harper, who was 20 feet from the baby and from Amy and from Dee. And it was just like, this is how we, we live our lives. And it was, it was to keep all of us safe, but it was so to keep you safe. And it was to keep Lucas safe at that moment. But even if we were just the two of us there, like it was so to keep you safe. It was like, I am not going to be the person to burst your bubble. Like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to respect any boundary you throw at me. It was terrifying. We were terrified for you. We were more terrified for you than for ourselves. Yeah, I think like of the two people that it, that I was most terrified for, one was my new baby girl and the other was you, Harp. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember pre-COVID feeling, you know, there were times when you would, when we would talk and you're, you would call us up in the morning and you'd be like, yeah, I like coughed up blood last night and like, I don't know what happened. You know, I, nobody knows why and like, I have to go to the doctor. That was terrifying. And that happened like all the time, yeah. you know, like in the beginning. Or your legs would get really swollen. Yeah. It was the other weird thing that kept popping up. Our whole, you know, friendship was that. And then 
so being like already scared for you. And then with COVID, it was like, this is like a fucking respiratory disease that like is killing people, you know? And it was really, really scary. And I would, yeah, like Mel said, I was just so happy that you had a place that you could go where you could be outside and you could walk and you could, you know, still be with your parents and like being you being you you know, you make the best of it, like wherever you are. Like I remember like deep in COVID, you would call us up and you always had stories about like walks and like the drama about like what was happening in all the houses in the neighborhood and like who was like walking with who. And like, it was just hilarious. Like you, you kind of like make good stuff wherever you are, you know, um, that's a strength of yours. Like you need that going through all the things that you've been through, but yeah, it sucked having a daughter and not being able to share her with the two of you that really sucked a lot all of like the hopes and dreams of new baby hangouts yeah they just went away really quickly and at that point it was just like okay well let's how can we still like be together without like being together I think we did the best we could with that yeah virtually and in person and trying to hang out as much as we possibly could that we could be there for you in that situation also because you had a March 2020 baby. Like it's one of the craziest things ever. I talk about it all the time. So I'm curious to know what have you both learned about invisible illness in me having one, in you being my friend, in knowing that this podcast and business exists? What have you learned about it? Because it's invisible, you have no idea who is going through what, (laughs) no clue. You don't know what people are dealing with on a regular basis. I think we learned from you that things can be really difficult and that you personally are wildly resilient. I don't know how you sometimes figure out how to get past some of the situations that you've been in. Thankfully you've gotten past many hurdles of this illness that you've been in, but the, the, the resilience that you've shown is just the most powerful thing. And I, and from listening to obviously your podcast and and knowing and your writing workshops and all the things that you've been doing in, in that community, how resilient people have to be when they're kind of in this situation and how unfair you know, the cards you're dealt can be sometimes. I think I've learned that there's still a lot of research to be done. And like when you're kind of on the fringe of like what's happening in science, like where there's like not a lot of evidence and there's not a lot of research and like you just have something that's really rare, like what a challenging place to be because there's not a path for how you find answers. You know, it's like a lot of like what you've done harp with your, you and your mom and your dad, like you've like stitched together this like network of people that wouldn't have happened naturally without you just like pushing for it and like finding all of the people that you can, who might know about something. And then you've created a network that wouldn't have naturally existed in the system because you've been able to like self-advocate, but you know, that's not a given for a lot of people. And so I think it's your work is to like raise those voices and to like make 
through your story, you can like create those pathways for other people, which I think is amazing. I think that's like the work of your life right now. Really? Yeah. You always tell us there's these people that, you know, are are nowhere near a big city and have no idea about the NIH. And like, how do I get, you're, you're always thinking about the greater good and how to pull them in so they can receive what you've gotten to receive. And the more people that come into that, the more research goes into what you're dealing with and what other people are dealing with. And you don't just focus on your own stuff. I mean, you have people on your podcast that have a, a whole number of different things and it's just the awareness, I think, is something that you do so well. Even if it doesn't benefit you, it will benefit someone. And that's pretty special that you can put that out there. And your networking skills are beyond. So like, I, I don't even want to like call the doctor up and you're like emailing people for me, for my stepson to get some, like you just like are so proactive and so ready and willing and that's always been you. That's not new. It's just, this is like focused differently. This is focused in like a pretty amazing, intentional, you know, human serving way. You're pretty cool. You're pretty awesome. Thanks guys. I appreciate that. Oh, it's a lot to hear this. I have to say. You're all right. I mean, you're fine. <laughs> Today you're fine. So... Knowing that I spent the first 27 years of my life hiding my health and telling nobody and not sharing with anyone and nine of those years being, you know, friends with you, what would you say to someone who is listening to this podcast who's hiding their illness from their friends or loved ones? I think the obvious thing to say is, you know, give people a chance. Like there's probably a lot of people in, in their lives that want to show up for them and, and don't know that that's needed. But I know it can be scary to like put yourself out there in a real way with people, you know, so much of like of our culture is just like presentation. I think when you give people a chance, most of the time they show up and if they don't, then they, you probably don't need them in your lives. What advice would you give to friends of people living with invisible illness? Listen all the time. Always answer the phone. Yeah. Listen and, and show up, you know, like hard when you were first doing your, you know, your immune deficiency walks and stuff like, yeah. you know, we were there, you know, like, and like, we knew that that was important to you. You told us it was important to you and we went, we prioritized it. You know what I mean? Like, that's what you do for people that you care about. And like when you don't, or when you can't like, say you're sorry, you don't have to be perfect all the time. Like I know that I've not always been there for you, Harp, in the way that you've needed. Say so you're sorry and like do better next time. Also, like when you fall off the radar, check in. I think checking in with you, just like sometimes I just send you texts and I send them to D2, but like, you know, if you've had a particularly hard week or whatever it is, like sometimes, you know, you'll come across my brain and I'm like, I haven't talked to Harp in like a day and a half. And then I'll just write, love you. Just like you're in my mind right now, you know, like I just am thinking about you and that leaves, I think that leaves you or, you know, if you're a friend of somebody who's going through something, gives them the opportunity to say, oh, you're here so I can lean on you. And like, that's something that as a friend is the easiest thing to do, I think is just to say, hey, how you feel today? Or even just like, I love you is like the, the easiest thing 
because you're on my brain all the time, right? So like my kid talks about both of you on a regular. So like, it's just like, you know, it's easy in that moment to say to somebody, I'm thinking about you. And it gives any, you know, it gives the opportunity for, for you to come back and say, I'm struggling or I'm okay right now, or whatever it is that you feel like saying, whether the conversation is one more text message, or if it becomes a, you know, a whole chain for the whole rest of the day, whatever it may be, I think checking in is crucial. Yeah. You're both really good at that. Thanks, T. I actually think it's like at the top, top, top of the list for me. It's something that's so valuable. And I would honestly like my recommendation to you slash listeners is the reminder that you're there. I don't even think the question is as helpful. I think the you're really good at this, Mel. The love you, miss you, hi. There are certain type of texts that I know exactly what the intention is, and it goes such a far way. And I think it's such a reminder to listeners as a patient living with an invisible illness or a friend or family member to be present to people and just remind people that they're there. Because as we've discussed this whole conversation, you can't solve my problems. You can't fix my health. And Danielle, you talk a lot about like, I just want to take, you both take this, you both say this often. I just want to like fix your body. I don't want you to be going through this. You sent me a card when I was in the hospital that said, dear Harper's lungs, be better at being you. better at being you. That's right. (laughs) And it's a saying, it's a saying that, you know, dates back to our early twenties, but it was relevant in this time. And I talk about it all the time because it's, it's also humor. You know, that's another aspect of it is we like to have fun and be playful with each other. And there's something really wonderful about infusing humor in all of this. And I think that's really important. Anything we didn't discuss that you guys like now that we're in this conversation, you want to bring up? This is the most serious conversation we've had about this ever. Like you're talking about humor and I'm like, we're not this serious this often. I think no. it's good practice. We need to make some noises. No, I think this is good practice. I think it's like, I don't know. This is just such a, for the three of us, this is like a pretty intense conversation. Or yeah, not. I was going to say that we should make some noises or something. Pants. Sit down. Oh my god. I'm so excited to see you guys in a few weeks and to like be present together for more than like a dinner. Yeah. Like a sporadic dinner. It's going to be awesome. I can't wait. I appreciate you both for saying yes with exclamation marks when I said, "Are you open to doing this?" cuz I honestly wasn't sure how you would react. But it means a lot that you guys are willing to do this and have this conversation. It's just a reminder of how you show up for me. And I think it will help so many friends out there who don't know what to do. And I asked a few friends what questions they had for you, and they were so consistent. I kept getting the same questions of people just wanting to know how to best be a support system. And you gave so many good tips here. So I love you both more than life itself. And I can't wait to be in Portugal together. And thank you for doing this. Of course. No of problem. Course, heart. We love, love you too. 
And typically on this podcast, we end with asking people where they can find the guests, but these are two not really active on social media (laughs) that are not really worth following. So we're just going to leave it at this. If you want more, if you have more questions for Mel and Dean, feel free to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Don't, don't email me or DM me because I won't see it. This is the first time I've used a computer in like weeks. I, you know, I don't. I think my voicemail has been full on my phone for like seven years. (laughs) Not surprising at all. Point made right there. Yeah. Contact me if you have questions for them or you want another episode with more information. I love you both. Love you. Thanks for tuning into Made Visible. We hope you learned about something new today. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a few minutes to subscribe, rate, and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Your support means the world to us. Visit madevisiblestories.com to check out our writing workshops, corporate offerings, and more information that can help you in navigating life with an invisible illness. Follow Made Visible Stories on Instagram. See you next week.